give a shout of acclamation and appreciation to our, all of our brothers and sisters at the Eunice Correctional Facility who are tuned in with us, listening in. Thank you, guys. We love you, and we're honored that you would stop and listen, and I pray that God breathes life into you through this message today. I want to talk to you about winning your world, okay? Nobody else lives in your world. What I mean by that is there's no one else that's going to have the influence that you're going to have over your family, with your friends, with your loved ones, in your workplace. Your world is, is your world and yours alone. Nobody else is going to be able to influence and win your world the way that you can. Now, I don't like it when pastors do this to me, and I argued with God about going back and forth over whether I should do this or not, um, but sometimes they do it anyways, and so God just, I feel like he wanted me to do this to you. I'm going to have you repeat a phrase with me, and I want you to write this phrase down, because I'm going to come back to it for the next few weeks leading up to Easter especially, and, and here's the phrase. I'll give you three words at a time, and, and it should be easy to go with. You're going to say it and write it at the same time. You ready? All right, here we go. God puts people... In my path for me to win. All right, one more time. God puts people in my path for me to win. Listen, now, I like to win. I, it's just kind of in me. Like, I've never been a good loser, ever. I'm still working on even uh, allowing someone else to win. And I have three little ones that are wishing that I would get better at this, this I like to win mentality. I was in the basketball, or in the driveway. I was in the basketball. I was inside. I was stuck like a little man. Okay. So no, <clears throat> I was in the driveway the other day, and, and my girls and I were, were playing basketball. And, and I let them score a few points, you know, and, and I was even trying to get Emery to make one. And she would, you know, squat way down and throw the ball way up high and it's nowhere close. And I was like, good shot. Not really, but that's so good that you can throw it so high because that's the point of the game, right? And so they're, they're like scoring some points because Adeline can actually shoot a little bit and as long as I don't get in her face. And so I started a little bit more blocking her. Well, they started pulling ahead of me. And so it's like five to two or something. Maybe it's like eight to four. I don't know. I quit letting them score because I don't need to teach them that you're just going to win and people are just going to let you walk by. So Adeline goes to shoot, and I'm like, wow! I spiked it down on a seven-year-old, and I was even like, woo! She's like, Daddy, why'd you do that? I was like, because ain't nobody going to let you win in white life. No, I didn't do that, but, but I really did smack the ball down. But the truth is, is that people aren't just going to let you win, uh, and you've got to make a decision. Like, this is my world. God has put me in it. And in Him, I really can win. I really can do all things. I can be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I can be the victor and not the victim. Does that matter? I, I can do what God's called me to do. It's in me. I'm able. Okay? I want to win. Sometimes it's at the expense of others. <laughs> I want to win. I, I'm not willing to watch someone else beat me. Okay? And I don't think that there's really anything wrong with competition. I think there's something wrong with pride. And when competition turns evil, then there is something wrong with it. But I use this example. Um, if you give me a stopwatch, and for some reason I just have, let's say, someone else challenge me to still be able to run like I used to. Well, I still think I can until I see I can't, okay? And so if you were to just put me on a stopwatch and put me out in the parking lot and like, okay, prove it. You know, prove it that you were. I would give it my best, man. I would run <clears throat> with everything that I had for that stopwatch, okay? But if you put Pastor Weston beside me and you draw a line and it's between him or me, I'm going to run faster against him than I would have against that stopwatch and I will beat him. I just want to make sure that you understand that. Um, but I will run faster. Listen, there's nothing wrong with some healthy competition that keeps you a little uncomfortable so that you don't become satisfied or settled in a place that you shouldn't be satisfied or settled. If, if, if there is competition, like I don't want, I, look, I'm not going to be satisfied with another church in this community building bigger than we are. 
I mean in people, in souls, in resource. I'm not going to be satisfied with another church in this community doing things that we're not doing. I'm not going to be satisfied with another church winning more people or doing more ministry than we are because I like to win. Listen, if I read Revelation chapter 22 and it was like, and then the devil rose up from beneath and took the head of Jesus and all the Christians lost, I'd be like, Well, I'm not doing that. But can I tell you that we serve the one that is going to conquer the enemy and he's not even going to have to raise his hand. All he's going to have to do is lift his tongue. And I'm on the winning team and I'm going to act like I'm on the winning team while I'm here. I can win. And God puts people in my path for me to win. But sometimes it seems like when it comes to the kingdom, the only time that we really want to win, the only time that we really want to become really spiritual is when it benefits us. When it celebrates us, when it glorifies us. But today, I want to challenge that mentality to what if we became so spiritually minded at all times that it actually benefited others for us to be the way that we are? What if we became like Jesus, lived like He lived, walked like He walked, and achieved what He achieved? See, I've come to realize over just a few short years, and and it's it's burdening my heart even more as, as I just continue in this journey um, that Jesus didn't save me just to save me a seat in heaven. Jesus didn't save me just to benefit me. He saved me so that I could make His name famous. He saved me so that I could help others know Him the way that I want to know Him. He saved me, delivered me, inspired me, and motivated me. Listen, He won me so I could win my world. He won me so I could win the world and the people in my world that He put me in. That's why He saved me. This morning, I believe that the devil would love for the church to buy two lies. There's two lies that the devil would love for you to believe. Number one, you can't make a difference. You can't make a difference. What you pray doesn't matter. What you say doesn't matter. You cannot make a difference. And I would just like to remind you of the Old Testament story where God decided to speak through an animal. And I just want you to know today that if God can use a jack donkey, okay? I wasn't going to say it really. I put it in my notes just to make sure you were awake. Okay, I try not to cuss when I get mad in public. I'm not going to do it on purpose in the pulpit. <laughs> There's no, no reason for it for me. If he can use a donkey, then he can, he can use... A, Me, not you. You're not a donkey, okay? If God can use Gideon, Gideon, the man who said, look, I'm the weakest of the least of these. This guy's, I'm the weakest of the least of these. God's like, I know, I want to use you. It's perfect. He's like, whatever, you're lost. You know, it's just Moses. Now we celebrate Moses, and and, and rightfully so. And he worked hard for the last part of his life. Um, But the first part, I mean, you got to think about who this guy was. His mama put him in a basket and sailed him down the Nile. Like, see ya. Yeah. And then he was raised in the home of people that were not his parents. In a place that was not his. You think his brothers and sisters were proud of the fact that they had an Israelite in the Egyptian house? You think they were glad for the Hebrew boy amongst the Egyptians? No, I guarantee you, there was some ridicule that took place in that house. Hey, by the way, it couldn't have been just like sugar-coated glory because don't you think at some point Pharaoh realized that that was one of the, the however many million or thousand young boys under the age of two that should have been thrown off the cliff and perished with the rest? It was his dad, Moses' dad, the house that he was adopted into, it was Pharaoh that made the order to kill every boy under the age of two years old. And to to destroy the Israelites specifically and especially. You think he was proud when he found out that his family denied him what he had instructed them to do? So he's raised in a house by a genocidal maniac. I mean, look, there's some bad people in the world. And and some of us are sitting in this room, okay? We got some bad thoughts. Like, we think crazy stuff. And, And sometimes we even act on it, okay? But this dude was a genocidal maniac. He was a terrorist, and he, he murdered every boy under the age of two years old. This is the house that Moses is, is raised in. And then Moses loses his temper later on in life. And he, he kills one of the Egyptians. And then he runs away. And he, he, he runs away. Uh, and then he marries a, uh, another man's daughter. And for 40 years, 
for 40 years, he's on the backside of the desert living at his in-laws, y'all. But that's not a man that we like. Oh, wow, the delivering Moses, that guy. Okay, this, you're talking about a guy who had been raised as, a, as an orphan in another man's house by a genocidal maniac who lost his temper and murdered the people that he was supposed to be connected to because they're the ones that took care of him, and then ran away and hid, married a woman, and was completely satisfied and content for 40 years to live at his in-law's house. Y'all, I love my in-laws, okay? If they happen to be tuning in, which they do often, I'm thankful. But y'all, four days, we're like, whoo, that's it. Like, for them, for them and for me, like, we got, we got our own thing. Like, I got too many kids and now a dog and they got their own space and I, like, need my shower and my bed and all kinds of, like, you can just live at my in-laws and be satisfied. And then God speaks to him through a burning bush. God speaks to him like an audible voice from God. I'm going to give just about everybody in the room here credit that if God spoke to you audibly, through a burning bush that would not consume itself, your first response, your knee-jerk reaction, would not be to argue with the voice coming out of the bush. Okay? I'm just going to give you credit for that. I believe even I would not argue with that voice. I'd be like, okay, that's what I was looking for. Let's go get it done. I heard the voice of the Lord, like literally. So, if you have not been raised as an orphan, lost your temper and murdered somebody, you're not a stutterer, and you are not currently content for the last 40 years living at your in-law's house with the woman that you married, and you are not arguing with an audible voice of God, guess what? God can use you. If you are all of those things, praise God, you are the next deliverer of God's people in His house. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. Here's the next thing that the enemy would love for you to believe. The devil would love for you to believe that everyone has heard it. Everyone has heard it. One of my best friends now pastors a church in Fairhope, Alabama. Many of you have met him, Pastor Johnny and his wife, April Hunt. And Johnny Hunt was raised in Rayville, Louisiana, where according to his own testimony, he was raised most of his life into, his eight, into age 18. And no one that he grew up around ever took the time to sit down and explain the gospel to him. No one in his life in Ravel, Bible Belt, Spirit-filled, Baptocostal, all of the above place in the entire world, what Monroe and West Monroe, all of those people, there was a young man for 18 years who had no hope in the home that he grew up in, and nobody, not one man, woman, or child ever sat down and explain the hope that we can have as an anchor in Jesus Christ. Nobody ever stopped and shared the gospel with this man raised in North Louisiana. Pastor Johnny tells a story of this, this sweet little black lady that he would always see fishing. Um, and look, I, I don't really like fishing. Like if I get up at five in the morning, it's probably not going to be to catch things. It's going to be to kill them. Like that's just me. I just, I just get more pleasure in that. Like if you want to go shoot a bunch of fish, I'm game for that. That could be fun. Um, but just fishing all day. And I like to catch fish. I'm just not good at fishing for fish. Um, and, but Pastor Johnny would, would go out with his friends. He would always see this one, this one lady, and she always had her bucket, and she was always in her spot, and she had her, her pole and, and her bait and then her little cork, and she would float right there in the water, and she'd always be there every time that, that he saw her. Um, and then he would always ask, you know, what do you ask when somebody's fishing? You walk up, you say, hey, are you catching anything, right? And she was like, oh, no, you know, I ain't caught anything. Which now we understand she's probably lying because she didn't want them boys to stop and, and fish in her hole, right? But, but, uh, but either way, it just reminded him, and, and it's too good not to share. It reminded him of, of some of, maybe some of the church people that every Sunday we bring our seat, we come to church, we sit in the same place or around the same place. We get frustrated if somebody's in our spot. Come on, somebody. And even though we haven't caught anything for 20 years, we're not going to move. We're not going to get uncomfortable. We're not going to go anywhere else. We're not going to do anything about anything that's not already being done and that we're not comfortable with. Just like that little lady, we're comfortable where we are. We have our seat. It's saved for us. And we feel really good about the fact that we're not catching anything. Guys, listen, salvation is about so much more than a seat in the sanctuary. It's about so much more than just reserving your seat 
in a comfortable place. It's about catching fish. It's about winning people who do not know Jesus. If we do not share the Gospel, we stop the Gospel. If we do not share the Gospel, we stop the Gospel. Why? Because Jesus gave the Gospel to us. He said, He did not request, He did not recommend, He commanded in the Great Commission. He commanded us to go and make disciples. The Gospel was written in the first century. And in that first century, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had characters like Andrew, who would go get his brother Peter. Had characters like John, and James, and Thomas, and Zacchaeus, who we will come to later. He had characters of people whose lives would be transformed because they met Jesus and Jesus ministered to them. And then they went out and began to minister to others and the gospel began to spread. It did not end with the four chapter, four books in the Bible that we call the gospels. The gospel is still being written today in the 21st century, but it has names like Chris. It has, it has names like Megan. It has, it has names of people like Joe. And, and Shauna, these names that are being written today are you being used in the 21st century to minister the gospel in this time, in this era. And I can promise you that heaven is still writing books that we are yet to read about the extension and the expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's up to us as to whether our names are in that book. We've got to quit being satisfied with our names only being in the book of the Lamb. And we need to get our names in the book that's being written and still to this day by the lives that we lead and the things that we say to the people that God puts in our path. See, people reach people, not pastors. Pastors are supposed to reach people. And so people take it for granted. See, when I invite somebody to church, it's effective. It has influence. But that's what I'm supposed to do. When you invite somebody when I pray with someone in public, they want to know why I did it and what I do for a living. And when I say, well, I'm the pastor at New Hope, they go, oh, okay. That makes sense. But when you say that I'm a banker, when you say I work in the field, when you say whatever it is that you do and God, the Spirit of God led you to pray, people are more impacted by people than they are pastors. It's actually not even my job to go out in this community. I'm supposed to lead by example, but my job as a pastor is to equip the saints to do the ministry. And when the saints are doing the ministry, the ministry gets done at a greater level than if it were just the pastors trying to do it. I'll give you a great example. On this past Thursday, I made a Facebook post, which I do rarely because I've got better things to do. But I, I did that, and, uh, and, and it had a good response. And it, it didn't have as good of a response if I would have been Megan because she's more popular than me, but it had a great response. You know, we had almost 70 comments, and a lot of those were just me saying thanks or, like, you know, giving uh, yeah, encouragement to the comments that were made. But did you know that in those comments, in 70 comments... Only about three of those, when I said, hey, who is it that shared the gospel with you and challenged you to live your life a different way? Who is it that shared the gospel with you? Tell your story. Who shared the gospel with you that it challenged you to live your life in a different way? Only about three out of the 70 was a reference to a pastor. The other ones were all a reference to a person that God had put in their path that was obedient to the voice of God and spoke it to them or ministered to them. One of my favorite ones was Miss Annette Guidry. She said, my son's kindergarten teacher, my son's kindergarten teacher shared the gospel with me. And her husband is on our board in this church today because her son's kindergarten teacher shared the gospel with her. My parents, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncle, my friend. And people are tagging their friends in this post. It's so cool. I was reading through, man, I was almost just tears in my eyes. People that I tagged would share their story about people. You know, some of my favorite people in the world, I've never even really sat down with them, is a pastor in Springfield, Missouri named Ron Moran. 
Ron Moran is the one that shared the gospel with Johnny Hunt, and Johnny Hunt is the one that ministered the gospel to me in Shreveport. And if it weren't for Ron Moran, I don't know where Johnny Hunt would have been, and I don't know where me and my babies would have been today. If it wouldn't have been for the pre-marriage counseling pastor that finally stopped the 18-year-old and said, son, I have a message of hope for you. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's better than the current circumstance and situation that you're living in, and if you will give him your heart, he will use you for his kingdom. He can use you to make a difference. It's bigger than you are. I'm thankful that a person reached a person and that pastors were obedient. But what's sad is that some Christians never grow beyond themselves. It's actually devastating that we think that the only reason that God saved us is to save us a seat in heaven. And because some Christians never grow beyond themselves, they grow hard. They grow unfulfilled. They grow insecure. They become obsessed with the next feel-good moment. Hashtag charismatic movement. We're looking for the next powerful move of God. And God's just looking for us to move because He already did. We've got to quit being in a place where the people look to the pastors to do their job and the pastors look to the people to do His job. We all just do our job and when we all do what God's called us to do, He'll do what only He can do. And when that happens, the church will begin to multiply in a way that it would have never multiplied had everybody just kept looking at everybody else hoping somebody would do something. No, the somebody, we need to take initiative. The somebody is me. It's my time. It's my place. It's my purpose. It's my world. It's my prayer. It's my bad. Oh, my bad. My, y'all slept too long this morning. It's, it's my position. It's my title. It's my influence. It's my loved one. It's my testimony. See, people can argue with your scripture, but they can't argue with your story. And when you share your story of what God is significantly doing in your life, there is no rebuttal or argument to be made. But instead, most of us, we just become satisfied and settled with what God has done for us. And we learn to be content without ever doing anything for somebody else. But the truth is, is that we're saved for a purpose. And our purpose is people. See, when you don't grow beyond yourself, you get mad at the pastor of the church that you're going to. When you don't grow beyond yourself, you get mad at the worship style of the church you're going to. When you don't grow beyond yourself, you get mad at the music, the sound, the situation. You get mad when they ask you to serve. You get mad when they ask you to do. You get mad when they stop feeding you and expect you to feed yourself. When you don't grow grow beyond yourself as a believer and share what God has given you, you become unsatisfied in a way that you were actually meant to be satisfied. You become like someone who can never eat enough, who can never be full. It becomes a gluttony in your life. And even Christianity and your own salvation can become gluttony for you if you don't understand that the reason that Jesus delivered you was for the people that He put in your path. For the influence that you could have. And as long as you don't share that and you keep it to yourself, then you will eat of every field until it goes dry and you will spend the rest of your life moving to field, to field, to field, to field because you're a consumer and a devourer instead of a planter and a waterer. See, our call is not to just consume. Our call is to plant and to water and to feed and to do God's will in the lives of the people that He put in our path. Christians do not exist for themselves any more than Jesus existed for Himself. We are saved for the purpose of reaching people. Charles Spurgeon, one of my my other favorite bearded men um, of the Gospel, he said it this way, and it's a little intense, but he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every believer, every Christian is either either a missionary or an imposter. Another pastor that I found is Dr. Curtis Hudson. He took a church of 350, about our size, and I'm just casting vision for what God could do through this church in this community. He took a church of about 350, and in 20 years, his church, not he, but his church grew to 7,000 people because they became obsessed with winning the loss. They made their very definition of existence based on the premise of winning those who were hurting, winning those who had not yet believed. Dr. Curtis Hudson said this about the ministry and about reaching those who do not yet know Jesus, about winning souls. He said, 
The only alternative to winning souls is disobedience to Jesus. The only alternative to winning souls is disobedience to Jesus. But sometimes the knowing is in the doing. And sometimes we've had enough classes, we've had enough preparation, we've heard enough Romans roads, we've had enough planning, we've had enough strategies. It's just time to get out of the comfort of our own seat and do the work of God to win our world. Now I'm gonna make a Captain Obvious statement. For those of you who know who this is, it would be like, uh, I just thought of Yogi Berra whenever God gave me this statement, but I wrote it down. And it, it, the statement is that churches shrink because they don't grow. Yeah, I know, right? It's profound. Churches shrink because they don't grow. Just pour that over your rice and let it simmer for just a minute, okay? Churches shrink because they do not grow. Churches that are not winning souls are churches that are shrinking. Churches that are not winning souls are not churches at all. They're social clubs with recommended dues. Churches that are not winning souls will shrink eventually to nothing and all the souls that could have been won will either go to hell or go somewhere else. And I refuse to be a part of one of those churches when God has given me a burden for people that are yet to know Him. Every individual that God puts in my path, I see as a potential person that could know Jesus the way that I desire to know Jesus. That could love God the way that I am learning He loves me. Now can I just celebrate our church? I know it's heavy, but I want to celebrate our church. I want to kind of flip the script for just a minute because I told you, I don't get on Facebook a lot. I kind of save it for like the, the moment where I really feel like I have something to say or if I was just, you know, I don't know, that something came up and I thought it was interesting. So I'll get there. But my wife showed me this post not too long ago and it was someone in our, in our area. I don't know if they had just moved here or they were just curious, but it said, what church has children's programs on Sunday morning? What church teaches kids in their service on Sunday morning? And my wife showed me the post. She's like, hey, look, new hope, new hope, new hope, new hope, new hope, new hope, new hope. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. That's our people believing in what God's doing in the house. That's God's people believing in the vision that God has given, yeah, us, the pastoral leadership, but passed along to the people because God gives us the vision, but it's you that makes it happen. And without you, it's nothing more than a hope. But with you partnering in the spirit and with Jesus, it becomes a reality and we see it come to pass and we get to celebrate things like 83 people in 2017 being baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Incredible. Amazing. I love that's a great place to praise Jesus. But can I tell you that it hurt my heart when I went back and watched those videos? As exciting as those days were and as fulfilled as we left that place that day as a staff, I look at those videos today and I realized that I can't live off of yesterday's testimony. Because even the people in 2017, some of the people in those videos have since stopped coming to church here. Have since started going in another direction. And that means that we, we as a church, miss the mark on discipling them and teaching to observe the principles of God. I was supposed to say this in first service, but I missed it. But if you're, in the, if you're in the room today, I want to challenge you. Specifically, if you're new or if you've only been coming here for a while, I want to challenge you with this. That if you will give us, if you will commit to one year at this church and come as many Sundays and Wednesdays and events and serve and get plugged in, I promise you, if you will give Jesus one year with new hope and newness, you will look back over that year and be glad that you did and you will never look back in another direction or look around or wonder whether it was God that called you to this place. But you've got to commit to it. You've got to be willing to do it. People have got to quit looking at pastors and pastors have got to quit looking at people. Everybody needs to look to Jesus, do what He says, and when we all do our part, He will do His. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, John took ownership of the people that he was writing to. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. So that you will not sin. Well, pastor, I'm okay. I'm, I'm not sinning. I feel good about it. God's delivered me. I'm not walking in sin. Listen, sin is very simply disobedience to the Word of God. And, and what we need to stop doing as people in the church is patting ourselves on the back because we follow the commandments when we're not following the commission. 
We need to stop patting ourselves on the back because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we get that. But we're not achieving the Great Commission when Jesus, the one that we say that we love, said, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them. Don't just expect the pastor to do it. Don't just expect the program to do it. Take the initiative. Take the ownership. Do not sin against the Word of God in disobedience, but let it convict you. Let it challenge you, and do what it says. If anyone does sin, praise God, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. His name is Jesus, the one who is truly righteous. Verse 2, He Himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. See, we're not just saved for ourselves. We're saved for the sake of others. We're saved for the sake of of the world in which Jesus has placed us in. Not just our sins, but the sins of all the world. Verse 3, we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commandments. Well, I could just do a series on that. If you're wondering whether, whether you're saved or not, it's very simple. You just look at your life. And then you can know, man, am I following Jesus? Am I confident? Should I be confident in my salvation? You should be confident in your salvation if you're following Jesus. You can be sure that you know Him when we keep when we keep and obey His commandments. Verse 4, but if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey His commandments, that person is a liar. It's not living in the truth. So if we, if we say that we love God and, and we don't keep what He commanded us to do, and the last thing that He said was to go and make disciples, if we're not a part of that plan, if we're not doing that in our lives, then we are saying that we are something that we're not and we should be convicted to do something about it. We should be convicted to make a change, to make an adjustment, to begin to learn how to be obedient to the voice of God, begin to learn how to pray for and with others. But I have good news. Verse 5, those who obey God's Word, and you don't have to get it perfect all the time, that's why He prayed that we would be in Him and He would be in the Father and we would be made perfect. Those who obey God's Word truly show how completely they love Him. You can't say that you love God and not love His bride, the church, and not love His children that could be part of it. But when you do, you can know that you are living in Him. Look at verse 6, and this is our series scripture. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. In 10 minutes, let me give you three things that Jesus came to do. What did Jesus come to do? If you're taking notes, what did Jesus came to do? Come to do. John 10, verse 9. He said, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely, and they will find good pastures. That's a good promise. But you don't have to wait till Sunday to go to church. You can be the church Monday through Saturday. And then come to Sunday and celebrate the fact that you've been in and out of good fields all week long. And you are well fed. And so you come to church on Sunday looking for an opportunity to feed somebody else. Verse 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give life. That is what He came to do. It answers the what of Jesus' existence and Jesus' coming. Number two, why did Jesus come? Why? What was his vision? What was his vision? Why did he come? Our vision here at New Hope is to meet people and grow closer to God together. It's why we are a church. It's why God sent us here. It's why we hire staff and, and raise up leaders and recruit and release them into other positions. It's why we believe so much in, in servanthood. But why did, why did Jesus come? Luke chapter 19 you see the story of Zacchaeus. And I don't have time to go into the story of Zacchaeus, but many of you know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little, he's a little guy, and he was, he was a tax collector. I, I was going to do it. I wanted to sing it, but I, I just didn't want to bad enough that God released me to not do it. And so, but you know the story of Zacchaeus is Jesus is coming into the city, and, and Zacchaeus can't see Jesus. He really wants to see him, so he climbs up in a tree above everybody else so he can see the Savior coming. And then Jesus spots him, and he goes to his house. And it was in Zacchaeus's, Zacchaeus the sinner's house that Jesus gave his vision. I, I want you to notice that Jesus didn't share his vision with all the saints. 
He shared his vision with the sinner that didn't yet understand it. He shared the vision with the person that needed to see it the most. He shared the vision with the person that needed to hear it. The person that had no hope, whose situation was worthless and hopeless. That's who Jesus went to, to share his vision. And this is what he said in verse 10. The Son of Man. I don't know why he spoke in third person, but he could have just said, I came. But the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's why he came. To seek and to save those who are lost. And remember, if you say that you abide in Jesus, then you should live as he lived. To seek and to save those who who were lost, that which was lost. I gotta be honest, man, it, if I were in the middle of a parade that was about me, and, uh, and, and all these people were trying to get to me, and I was in the middle of a crowd, and, and they were all celebrating me, and, and just lifting me, exalting me, and da, da, da. I gotta be totally honest, okay? I probably wouldn't have noticed the little dude in the tree. Just, I'm just being honest. Like, I, maybe I would have, I don't know. I'd be like, hey, look at that dude in the tree, that's cool, he climbed up in that tree. I don't know. But Jesus did. Not only did Jesus notice him, but he went to him. See, because Jesus was not looking to be celebrated, he was looking to save. Jesus was not looking to take his time, talent, and treasure to glorify himself and himself alone. He came to glorify the Father, to seek and to save that which was lost. We need to make room for the one that needs to see Jesus the most. We need to be the one that's not interested in being celebrated, but interested in being used to save somebody else. We need to be the one that would go after the individual that's in the tree, that feels like he has no hope, that's over there alone but too often we are the crowd that's in the way let's step out of the crowd and quit trying to fight our way to Jesus and let's become part of the solution that would walk over to the guy that has no hope and has no future help him down out of the tree and fight the crowd to get him to Jesus when's the last time that we came to church and hoped that somebody else would get fed when is the last time that we came to church and hoped that somebody else would get healed somebody else would get delivered somebody else would be saved that day the way that we were saved in our day it's not our time alone it's our time to stand and to shine for the sake of somebody else to pray for others to serve others and to be more fulfilled by what we get to do for the kingdom of God than what the kingdom of God has done for us it is our turn and our time to win our world how did Jesus come it's the last point to give hope to all those who are hungry how did he come it just amazes me if I re you really think about it, how Jesus decided to come to earth. He was the son of the living God. He was the light in the book of Genesis. He, he was and is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the lamb that was slain, he, the rose of Sharon. He's, he's everything. He's the conquering king. He's not just the king. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Everything that was and is and is to come was created in Him and He created all things. That's Jesus. He did not have to submit Himself to Pilate. He didn't have to submit Himself to the Roman Emperor. He chose to. And why did Jesus not come as the King that He was? That's the question that we're trying to answer. How did He come? If He didn't come as the King that He was, then what did he choose to come as? Mark chapter 10, verse 41. When the ten heard this, what did they hear? They heard James and John arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus knew their conversation before they even had it. So he's speaking to it. But the ten heard it and they became indignant with James and John. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, not so with you. That's not how I came. That's not what I did. And it's not how you're going to win your world. 
Instead, whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 45, how Jesus came. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To give His life as a ransom for many. So here's the statement. If by definition, what Jesus came for, why Jesus came, and how He came. If you combine these passages, you get this statement. Jesus seeks to bring life to those that were lost. He sought it. It was the substance of his identity. If it didn't happen, he would not have fulfilled his purpose. He did not just come to be raised from the grave and to walk in a new life. That is not the reason that Jesus came. He came to serve as a ransom for your sin. He came to serve as a ransom for my life. He came to give His life, serving and sacrificing His life for the ransom of all the lives that His life would represent. Can I tell you that there is a ransom of many inside of you? There is a church full of people that need to be saved all in your world. There is a church full of people that need to be ministered to and they are in your world. There is a salvation alive inside of you, the church of the living God that needs to be shared with others so that the gospel in the 21st century can be written with the same power as it was written in the first century. When he came to seek and to save that which was lost, not to be served, but to serve, we see the fulfillment. And if we say that we abide in him, then we need to walk as Jesus walked and be fulfilled by the same things. Jesus came for a purpose. His purpose was you and the people that you represent. The people that He puts in your path. This is the final question. I promise I'm closing. God had to send a whale to Jonah. The story of Jonah in the Old Testament. He had to send a whale to Jonah to get him to share the gospel with the nation of Nineveh. And I couldn't help but think as I was writing this message, what if God would not have sent a whale? What if God would not have sent a whale to try Jonah, to discipline Jonah, to get Jonah's attention? What if Ron Moran, pastor, would not have been doing the job of his people that day and spoken into the life of Johnny Hunt, that spoken to the life of Chris Fry and Weston Weaver? What if God would not have sent a whale? Listen. If God wouldn't have sent a whale, Nineveh would have gone to hell. That's what would have happened. Guys, in Revelation 21, there's this thing called the great white throne judgment. And it's it's where God begins to judge the nations and all of those that never accepted Jesus. The believers, the church, have already been through a judgment. That's called the judgment judgment seat of Jesus. Those are not the same judgment. This judgment, the great white throne judgment, is where God will eternally cast Lucifer, the third of heaven that fell with him, and those who never chose to follow Jesus and live for him with their lives into an eternal lake of fire. Oh man, that sounds evil. No, 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 listen. If you don't want to live for God here, then he's not going to make you live with him for eternity. So God has to. He has to separate what the scripture calls the goat from the lamb. Watch, listen, as the church, we are not going to be protected from that moment. We're going to see it happen. We're going to see every person that we should have shared the gospel with stand before God and be cast into hell. We're going to see every child of every person that we could have led to Jesus, that we could have prayed for, that we could have ministered to, that we could have given for, that we could have served. Stand before God and be cast into the eternal lake of fire and we're going to sit there and we're going to know that if we would have been obedient to the Word of God and not been satisfied with less than His best in our lives, if we wouldn't have just been satisfied with empty seats. Pastor, you don't like empty seats? No, I hate them. I despise them. Well, all you care about is people in the pew. Duh! I preach the gospel for a living. 
Absolutely, I care about how many people are in the pew. You know how many people are in the pew? However many people are living for Jesus. You know who's not in the pew? The people that need to be. How big of a church did you want? As big as God wants to make it because more people equal more resource equals more for the kingdom of God being done in this community. And I want to see God's will come to pass for this community. And he can make that as big as he wants to make it. And I'm not going to be satisfied with anything less than what he already has planned. It's after the great white throne judgment, only after the great white throne judgment that the Bible says. See, a lot of people think that this happens when you go to heaven. That's not when the Bible says this happens. After the great white throne judgment, after we watch every man, woman, and child be judged and thrown into an eternal lake of fire, the Bible says that he then comes and he wipes away every tear and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. Because that's going to be a terrible moment. But can I tell you the good news today? If you take that moment and you flip it for the kingdom of God, imagine when you get to heaven and the individual comes up to you and says, you don't know it, but God heard your prayer and I was the answer. You don't know it, but these are my kids. This is my family. You see, all these people, all these people are because you took the time to serve. All these people are because you took the time to pray. All these people are because you let the Holy Spirit interrupt your day and come over to me and speak a word to me that I needed to know and needed to hear God. And your pastor was no bat- nowhere around. You weren't in a worship service. You were in society. But God used you to speak to me. You know what's going to be incredible? Is when a man of African descent who doesn't look anything like me comes up to me in the kingdom of God and says, you remember that service where that missionary was there and you wrote that check that you didn't know if you could write and you were even uncomfortable with it. It's because of that one dollar that you gave. Those other thousand people represent the other dollars that you gave. But the one dollar that you gave saved me, sent the missionary to my village, sent the sanctification to my house, sent the salvation into my heart. And all those people represent that one dollar that you gave because you took your time, you took your talent, and you took your treasure and you used it for the kingdom of God. Don't make God send a well. Don't wait. Give us one year of your life. You know what? If you can't share the gospel, bring them to church. We'll do it for you. Pray with me today. Jesus, we love you. I pray that you would move freely right now. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? If there's anybody in the room today that doesn't know you, your word says that we will know that we know you if we're living for you. That's how we know. So if there's anybody in the house today that's not living for you, Jesus, right now, I pray that you would tug on their heart and help them to confess and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to raise my hand. I need to pray today. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, challenge your church today, right now in this moment. Listen, if you're in here today with nobody really looking around, the church is praying. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, when you read that scripture, you can't know that you know him unless you're living for him. You would say, Pastor, I I haven't been living for him, but I know that I need to. I want to pray. That's me. I want to be led in a prayer and I want to confess my sin to Him. I want to leave here today confident of who I am in Him because I received His salvation. Whether for the first time or the first time in a long time, whether you need to dedicate or rededicate, commit or recommit, if the Holy Spirit is stirring you right now and I'm talking to you, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, please include me in that prayer. Thank you, I see you, I see you. Anybody else? Pastor, please include me in that prayer. I'm not just going to pray it. I'm going to pray it over myself and everybody that God's given me influence with. Church, let me challenge you today. If in this message you've just received a little bit more of a burden to share your story and to share His story, if you would be willing to commit today to let the Holy Spirit use you in a more powerful way than He has been using you because you're going to listen more consistently Pray more consistently and look for the making the most of the opportunities that he presents you. If you would commit today to having a greater purpose with the people that God puts in your path, 
Would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. Hands going up all over the sanctuary. A greater purpose for the people. God, I commit today. I commit today. Come on, church. Pray this prayer with me. Everybody together. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. It separates me from you, and I don't want to be separated. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. Use me for your will. Take my life. Make it yours. And help me to follow you with all of my heart for the rest of my life. Help me make the most of every opportunity with every person that you put in my path. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, stand up with me. Don't just stretch. Put your hands together. Make sure that those that prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, don't just stretch. Put your hands together. I know I preached you into a slumber. I only use 14% of the energy in my computer. My computer doesn't have more energy than you in two services today. Hey, listen, again, let us just reiterate. If you've been coming here for a little while and, and we haven't really gotten to meet you or, or you'd like to meet a few of our leaders, we have a, a lunch for you right after service today. Um, if you're a first-time guest today, that specifically applies to you. Uh, we're gonna let you go eat first. We won't cake keep you captive. It is the third day of next steps. If you've been to the first two and you need to come to the third one, then come. Church, don't just go over there and eat all their food, but we want to welcome some of our newcomers, some of our, our guests that have been and, and need to meet some of those people. So come check us out today, okay? Here's the last thing we're going to do at 1235. It's only five minutes after the time that I should have ended. That's not bad. It's not good, but it's not bad. I'm going to pray a blessing over you just like I always do. But I want you to get one person in your head right now that needs this blessing. Do you think of one person right now that you wish or you hope that God would use you to bless and minister to? And right now, I don't want you to just receive this blessing for yourself. I want you to receive it on behalf of that person. I want you to pray this, or I want you to pray this with me in your heart and just receive it with me in your spirit. But I want you to be praying for that person at the same time. Because I believe that God's going to use you to multiply His kingdom. Not just with that person, but for a lot of other people. Come on, let's receive together. Father, we thank You right now, in Jesus' name, that You loved us enough to give Your life as a ransom for us. Would You bless us and keep us and make Your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Would You lift up Your countenance upon Your people and help us to walk in Your peace and operate according to Your will. Anoint us, O oh God, to be an example for you, be a witness for you. Lord, we don't want to be anybody's excuse for not inheriting salvation, but we want to be a whole lot of people's example. So Holy Spirit, right now I pray that you would come into our hearts and come into our lives and fill us with the fullness of your glory, not to be used on our own expense, but, but, be, but to be dispensed to others and used to minister to them. Put people in our path and help us to speak truth in love, and share the gospel, not keep it to ourselves. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Meet somebody that you don't know before you leave here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope to see you again soon.